0: Hello and welcome to the Geeky Medics Podcast. This week we have an extra special podcast where we're discussing OSCEs and written exams and our extra top tips for both of them. We know the last couple of years has been really tricky for everyone given that coronavirus has sort of knocked out all of uh, in-person examinations. And so for a lot of people, this is the first OSCEs they are sitting for both medical students and other healthcare professionals that can be really, really stressful. So in this episode, we're gonna be talking about our tips and tricks for OSCEs and written exams uh, for healthcare professionals. Today, I'm joined by two very special guests. The first, Emma Harvey, an intercalating medical student and the producer of this podcast. And the second, Lewis Potter, uh, a GP registrar and the founder of Geeky Medics. Thank you both for joining us. Um, I suppose before we get into the nitty gritty things, um, Emma, how how's your week been?
1: My week's been good, thank you. Um, I, I've just finished my dissertation for my intercalation, um, so I've submitted that and well my done. last essay. So right. on, you've caught me at a good time, I think. Um, so I'm just preparing to kind of have quite a nice summer before I go into fourth year. So very happy, thank you.
0: (laughs) And Lewis, what have you been up to this week? How's your week been?
2: Yeah, it's been not too bad. So recently sat my GP exam a couple of weeks ago. So glad to have that hopefully out of the way. And uh, I've been examining some OSCEs at my medical school job and uh, teaching some um, stuff about lifestyle and alcohol and smoking. Um, So yeah, I've wrapped up a few big projects hoping I can focus a bit more on uh, geeky medic stuff in the coming weeks, so, which is nice.
0: It sounds like uh, a week designed for this podcast. <laughs> you've done <laughs> it, little, an exam a yourself, you've <laughs> examined an OSCE, and, and now you're ready to to impart your knowledge.
2: I'm committed, Josh, I'm committed.
0: <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, so, with the with the OSCEs that you've examined and, and, and helped with, what do students get wrong? And I suppose, what, what do students get right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think most recently in the last few things that I've examined, one was just a few days ago, largely people were, were on the on the whole, pretty, pretty great. I think, um, you know, the common things that people fall down with largely are sort of getting inside their own head, I think, and over-analyzing what they're doing rather than just focusing on particularly in communication scenarios just building a bit of rapport with whoever's there and having a bit of a chat and I think that actually goes a long way in terms of settling your own nerves when you get into the room and also just you know I think if the patient and the examiner feel that you're getting on um with them and there's a bit of rapport there the sort of hawkishness of examiners in terms of you know not that they're trying to fail you but in terms of reassuring them that you are you know someone who is a competent consultant. I think it goes a long way in that first 30 seconds to a minute and probably reduces their sensitivity to looking for specific things you may have asked or not asked. Um, yeah. Because it, most mark schemes that I see, there is a lot of weight given to those softer skills. Um, and, you know, obviously it's important to cover whatever the relevant information is in the station. But that often is a smaller part of the overall score. Um,
0: I think that's really interesting. I think when I started um, uh, initially doing OSCIs, it the whole thing, particularly on the consultation skills stations, was that it was it felt so fake because you know they're actors, you know there's an examiner in the room, and you know you're sort of following a, a sort of a rough script in your head of certain things you need to, to hit. But actually, of the OSCEs I've done, they've all been, the actors have been super, super professional and they will warm to you if, if you are warm to them, you know they will, they will be friendly to you if you're doing well, and they'll be really sort of offish if you're not quite hitting the marks. And I think I hadn't quite realised how how good the actors are on on a whole with those types of stations.
2: Yeah, and I think it's just a human thing, isn't it? To yeah. that, and if that relationship is established quite quickly, I think it just makes it easier for everyone involved. And if it's a little bit, I certainly know that in the past when I've been under pressure in those situations I can come across a bit cold um, just because of the nerves and and then obviously that doesn't sometimes convey well and maybe makes the patient feel a bit less comfortable um, and then it can be a bit of a snowballing effect where you start then getting in your own head thinking oh this isn't going well it's all gone wrong and then you know and, and I think that's when things snowball and end up going wrong Um, but I I think as well most people can sort of even if things go a bit off initially you can save most of these situations quite easily Mm. Um, so that's one thing I always say to students is that you know if something goes wrong you know it's a one it's a one-off thing and you know probably the maximum amount of damage you've done is lose one mark maximum and probably not even Mm. that Um, so it's just a case of being able to let go of whatever's gone wrong and, and continue on and not get in your own head and keep thinking about the thing that you've you know you did 30 seconds ago because then you just it perpetuates forward at that point um, and
0: and that goes that goes for moving on to different Oski stations as well as in the station as well because
2: yeah you've got it's got to be a real psychological cleanse between stations i think <laughs> which oh, is again okay. easily yeah, said but, yeah uh, yeah
0: it is easily said i i um i did uh i did an abpi station in my second year and um i the cuff broke both times exploded on me and classic um and it completely wasn't my fault and i sort of looked at the examiner like what are you gonna do i just i'm gonna fail this whole station she's like there's nothing i can do and i walked out and i just burst into tears and it was like oh, <laughs> and, yeah, and, that's really tough. and the whole the whole cohort for the next rotation of osce were like stood there waiting for and <laughs> It was so embarrassing, but you're, you know, you're so stressed. I had like a written exam in a week's time. It was like the second day of OSCEs yeah. we'd had, you know, and you just, you can't account for all of those factors. It's just, I mean, it's embarrassing, but... Um, yeah, it's really, you know, it, it really is a really intense is.
2: situation, isn't it? So, yeah.
0: Um. So moving on, so we talked a little bit about consultation skills, but I wonder about sort of preparing for OSCEs. What would your top tips be for that?
2: Um. So in terms of top tips, I think... Obviously, you know, the obvious thing is practicing, um, whether that be, you know, reading through things. I think ideally you need to be practicing with friends or certainly um, with, you know, patients or patient actors um, just to get a sort of... I think it's one of these things where you can't really just read these things alone and expect to be prepared Mm. because it's that sort of interaction uh, between, you know, the patients, um, their ideas and their concerns and their expectations um, and the information you're wanting to gather... And you're trying to marry those two models, right? So in a communication scenario, you've got your list, you've got your illness script of symptoms and red flags, etc., that you need to gather, but the patient's got their own narrative uh, that, do, that won't fit your model because, you know, the medical model isn't something that most people, certainly patients, think about or structure their thoughts within. So I think the aim is to, you know, learn, you know, Socrates and these various, acronyms and abbreviations and systems but don't realize that they are you know you've got your collection of buckets for instance socrates there that you need to find you know the site of the pain the character and the radiation at some point but the patient isn't going to give you those in a sequence they might come at various points in the consultation so you know as you get better at this i think you start to be able to grab these things as and when they come up dynamically and say, okay, that's the character of the pain. I'm going to put that in the character bucket. I know there's another three buckets left, uh, but if they don't come up naturally, I'll ask those specifically once the patient has finished, you know, this part of what they're talking about. So yeah. I think you, you often progress from, you know, in the early days, just running through that system because that's the way we all learn. Um, but you, I think you have to recognize that you need to be flexible and be ready for that. Because I think if people are really rigid when they practice because they've just been reading and not, you know, having interaction with another human, they either come across quite cold trying to make the patient fit their model, or they just get thrown when the patient starts by telling them about, you know, severity of pain. And they think, oh no, I needed to ask sight first, and then it all falls apart. So I think learning the systems, but then realizing there's a dynamic element to them. And I think OSCE practice certainly helps with that.
0: Yeah, I think uh, uh, like you're saying initially, you just think that the primary goal is to run through Socrates or or, or whatever you're going to run through. But actually, it's 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 way better to come off that and come back to it and come off it and come back to it as you do it um, to make it sound like uh, like a dynamic conversation, like you're a friendly person. So yeah, definitely, um, it's yeah, but yeah, one of those things um, that you learn over time, I guess. Still are learning. Um,
1: sometimes obviously they are giving you a bit of a red flag or sorry, a red herring rather, Mm. and they're saying like the patient will be saying something that you're supposed to ignore, but then other times they're leading you down the path towards finding out what's going on. And so if you get too stuck on what you want to find out, you'll miss those little things that they're saying, like say talking to a diabetic patient and them subtly including their symptoms, but you're kind of too focused on the exact questions you want to ask. I think it's sometimes hard to distinguish the red herrings of what they're kind of saying to throw you off but trying to look out for those things that they are saying to try and help you actually is quite important
2: well, yeah 100 percent. and i think sometimes with that you sometimes fall into a trap of like narrowing your differential in your own mind and making mm-hmm. your mind up as to what you think is going on quite early and then end up in this sort of tunnel vision situation where you totally are discounting. Like you were saying, Emma, some of these little clues that there may be are giving you. And I think that's what the whole like opening question and, you know, giving the patient plenty of time to talk Mm -hmm. for that sort of, you know, in GP land, they call it the golden minute uh, where you just allow the person to talk and and tell you why they're there. And often within that minute or two, there's most of what you need, actually, if you just let them talk, it won't come out in this, you know, a perfect structure Mm -hmm. um, from a sort of, you know, Calgary, Cranbridge model point of view. um, But just letting them talk and often then allow you to interject once they're finished with a few more targeted questions but I think if you go in early too too narrow as you're saying Emma then you end up going off on a sort of tangent that isn't really what the scenario is about
1: yeah and if they think you have too much of an agenda I think sometimes patient actors sort of they almost get annoyed and then they're like trying to put up barriers
2: yes because they're
1: they're they're seeing that you're running with the conversation the way you want it and actually they want to be listened to yes but obviously not letting them talk for 10 minutes is also important because they can't do that
2: yeah and I think um yeah that tension between allowing someone to talk and choosing a point at which to interject is is really difficult and it's, it's I don't think you ever get perfect at it you get better over time generally actors and scenarios are pretty good at not you know being Going on forever because they realize you're under time pressure, and they've been, you know, having been in several sessions where we train people who are going to be actors, we're very clear about that because we don't want them to totally, you know, trash someone's attempt just because the person happens to be very polite and struggles to interrupt people because it is difficult to do that. And certainly when you're worried about, oh, I don't want to seem unprofessional or rude or damage rapport, it's a bit of a trap so most in most cases patients will if you just let them talk for a little while stop after 30 seconds a minute and allow you to to come in there And i, I think one of the thing that i find really helpful personally and i've certainly tell lots of students and it's on my mind because in, in relation to recent osces i've helped with is summarizing is both a great tool to you know to use regularly for your own to be honest selfishly it's just a really good sort of time buying tool where Mm. certainly if your mind goes blank or the patient goes quiet and you think I don't know what to ask next or I don't know where I'm going with this if you just start and say okay let me just go back through what you've told me and often I sort of qualify that with and let me know if I've got everything right uh, and then you know trying to summarize back what the patient has told you often in that situation the patient may say oh no you know the pain's been there for three weeks not three days which don't get thrown by that that's the whole point of summarizing is to make sure you've got these things right that's a good thing uh, It's mm. a good demonstration of that skill and then often i think naturally in your mind you start as you summarize you realize oh actually i don't know what the character of the pain is like or i don't know actually what the duration is and then you can then follow up with questions so i always find that replenishes my sort of stock of questions if, if things start running a bit dry and, and buys a bit of time and i guess mm. it also provides an opportunity for the patient actor to maybe get you back on track if they Get the sense that from your summary you're sort of a bit off-piste. They often will maybe throw you something to bring you back uh, into the sort of the ideal trajectory they want you in.
0: And summarising is really useful in, in clinical practice as well. When I've completely oh, yeah. ran out of questions, I'm like, what the hell is going on here? I mean, um, yeah, it's funny. OSCEs uh, prepare you for real life. It's uh, that's interesting, isn't it? 100%. And there's <laughs> often literal
2: marks for some just demonstrating yeah. summarising alone, right? So you get marks just for doing it.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
2: So it, it's, you know, just tactically, it's, it's worth doing.
0: Um. So Emma um as the uh medical student amongst us um how how do you prepare what's your um how do, what's your preparation routine for OSCEs, um what sort of things do you use what sort of uh tips would you would you recommend
1: I think I don't know I think it really depends how you learn I think practicing with friends and repetition of lists and checklists and things is really good but I also think having an approach of being adaptable and being able to cope with situations and work things out on the spot, not just following a checklist, is quite important because there are some things you just need to learn, you know, like clinical skills, procedures. But speaking to a human and working out what's going on with them is all about being adaptable and responding to stimulus and and different things. So I actually think one of my biggest tips is probably to go on the wards And if you have opportunities on placement to speak to people, I mean, when you're kind of being given guidance to Clark, lots of people, it can feel like quite a lot, but that accumulatively over the year is going to contribute to you having quite good people skills and sort of having actually experienced a lot of different patient interactions. So I think that's probably quite a good thing long-term to do. And then practising as as you've already said, sort of with friends and sort of making making up scenarios or using resources, which Lewis can probably tell us about, um, and things like that. And just always remembering the very simple things. I think when I've been practising or revising, you can get a bit bogged down in the very specifics of different subjects. And there are always things in every station, like introducing yourself, washing your hands, consenting the patient to whatever you're going to do that is always going to be there and you cannot forget those things because it's the most annoying thing when you don't do that um and I think it just can set the tone if you've got a good routine you know get really familiar with your introduction of saying hi my name's whatever I'm a you know if you're an F you're supposed to be an F2 or you're supposed to be a medical student whatever it can settle you to be really familiar with that so I think that's quite important to get down so you just don't miss that part
2: I think those are great. Those are really, really great tips. And I think just to follow on, a lot of the mark schemes that I've experienced at different universities when I've been marking, they are domain based. They're not checklists. So you know that they, they may be checklisty if they're like a procedure, as you were saying, Emma. But for you know certainly communication scenarios and things like that, it's all about domain. So you know, were they professional? Uh, you know, were they able to communicate and build rapport? Uh, most mock schemes aren't, did they ask this specific question or cover this specific topic? They're much more about a more holistic sort of view of you as a consultant. So I think getting bogged down, you know, Geeky Medics provides checklists and that's really just for practicing, but, um, and you know, knowing the points, but you don't want to rigidly be running through that kind of stuff when you're walking in there. It's really a starting point and a foundation. And then you really need to develop your own model and ways of asking things. And what sounds natural and easy for you may not be the same as your friend. I think that's important to know. And as Emma was saying, going on the wards and talking with patients, you'll start to find phrases and ways that you say things that feel natural to you. And I think once you're comfortable with those, you know, your own collection of ways of asking things, um, then you come across better. I had a patient recently who, who did signposting and sort of the way that they phrased, um, you know, Okay, we're just going to park that and then go onto this. And it—I'd never said, you know, I'd never used signposting and said that phrase, but I thought it's really nice actually. And clearly, they practiced it and used that naturally with patients, so it came across really well. And to me, as an examiner, I was like, okay, wow, like, you know, I, I was impressed, and it kind of made me think this person is a, is a great consultant based purely on this like one small thing. Yeah. I'm not saying that that's an immediate pass, but. Those, kind, those are the kinds of things I think as an examiner you're looking for because it demonstrates they have been practicing with people um, and, and dealing with the reality of, you know, real patients is, you know, it's unstructured data. I think sometimes you end up falling into a bit of a trap if you only practice with other fellow medics because they, even without realizing it, even when they're trying to pretend to be, you know, a regular patient, they present things in a much more structured manner. Uh, than a a non-medical person would. And I think if you don't get that actual real-world experience of the way patients present and the way they describe symptoms and the order in which they give you the information, you're going to be quite shocked when you walk into an OSCE station for the first time and the actor starts and says things in a way that you've not come across yet. You need to be adaptable, Mm. like Emma said. Mm.
1: Definitely. And the whole sort of practicing on uh, other medics, I think, comes up quite a lot with exams because you practice on each other and they know exactly what you're going to do next and so your friends will like I don't know with like a shoulder exam they'll like position themselves and they know how to move but actually when you speak to a patient try to explain a movement it's really hard so practicing on family is probably better for that kind of thing Mm. um
0: yeah and, and what you're saying Emma about being on the wards and and picking up lines um you know particularly for me being on a geriatrics ward round and you, for things like resuscitation conversations and picking up the ways the consultants you know bring up these difficult subjects and the certain phrases you might use and you just take little bits from each doctor you hear speaking and they're the sort of things that you know when someone's been on the ward and as um you know sort of seen those conversations been had they're much much better at it when it's in the OSCE so um yeah definitely um all all of those things are really useful
1: I've got one last tip for OSCEs which I feel like is perhaps useful for anyone who's ever really messed something up and didn't know what to do I think you can feel sometimes like if you go down a line of questioning or you've kind of you feel like you're in a groove but then you realize it's gone wrong you feel like you have to continue But actually, it's better to realise and just sometimes even say out loud, actually, I think I've got this a bit wrong and kind of start again, because I think I had a station that was like a phone call with somebody about, I don't know, some cardio problem. And I was kind of missing the point. And I realised towards the end, oh, I've completely missed lifestyle factors. And I was just sort of like, you know, getting really, you know, flustered. I was like, oh, this isn't going very well. And I just thought, right, I'm just going to go back and say, I think I've missed something. I need to actually ask you about this. And then afterwards, the examiner sort of said, you know, you kind of completely missed this whole really important bit, but you got it in at the end there, so it actually saved you and you may have failed. And, you know, if if you do fail station, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. But if you realise you're kind of going down the wrong way, just resetting and going, look, I can still salvage something here. It's worth it instead of just continuing to... See something that's not getting you anywhere
2: i think Mm. i think um i yeah i totally agree and i often say to students that there's no such thing as a perfect say history or you know examination and you know i'm constantly going back because i've missed a point you know in a gp consultation it's just a normal thing that happens and i think accepting that and being aware of that as a student that you know you're never going to take a perfect headache history and, and you know hit every single point that's normal And I think that sometimes helps sort of reduce the stress when you do maybe ask something in the wrong order or you forget and then you have to sort of quickly say at the end after you've already thanked the patient and washed your hands Uh, because these things do happen every day with every doctor. So I think sometimes medical students, you know, partly probably because of the system, but also they just sort of hold themselves to a standard that actually is not realistic. Mm. And they sort of beat themselves up when they fall short of it, which they inevitably will because that's just the way... You know communication is there's no such thing as a perfect conversation you know um even if you've got a checklist in front of you you'll go wrong it's in some way so i think yeah that's a it's a really good point to be aware of um and i say that you know I, i've been involved with say venipuncture stations and you know in a hospital doctors fail venipuncture all the time that is a normal thing that happens, you know. So, not getting the blood in the osky initially is no need to be stressed. I feel like you failed. That is literally a given. If you're in a hospital and you fail taking blood, nobody's gonna, you know, raise an eyebrow at that. Um, and I'm sure you can attest to that, Josh. But uh, uh, not not I, saying I'm, you're terrible at venipuncture, but
0: I've never failed a blood, not once. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, <laughs> <I> was, no. <laughs> oh no, was, I was, I was mere mortals, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs>
2: But yeah, I think r- having that in your head and being aware of that, it sounds like a simple thing, but I think just yeah, internalising yeah, that, it just reduces the pressure you maybe are putting on yeah, yourself. Because yeah. I think that's what can throw you mm. if you think, oh no, I missed that and I'm stupid for missing that. It's mm-hmm. just its totally unrealistic.
0: Yeah, and then you forget all the other bits like labelling the bottle of the blood that you didn't get and then you miss all those points after the point you get wrong and you yeah. know and you just spiral out of control in that station and you know yeah, yeah it's just yeah keep a cool head but it's definitely easier said than done 100 <laughs> percent. yeah and speaking of someone who's lost their cool head oh, yeah. many times many so. times yeah Yeah. yeah and in my
2: third Joroski I was practicing the night before with a fake patient named John uh, which was just a sort of sequence of pillows under a duvet uh, with a balloon as a head and uh I'd practiced so much that evening that then when I got into the cranial nerve exam in the morning in the actual OSCE I walked in and I said, hello, my name is John. And I said, I'm so sorry, my name is Lewis. And, you know, you can imagine the examiner's face. It was my first thing out of my mouth was got my name wrong. Um, but I, I managed to continue and I did pass the station. Um, but I mean, it did throw me a little. But these yeah. things are going to happen yeah. and you just have to be ready for it and accepting of it. I think if you walk in expecting perfection, that's when you can fall short of it and sort of throw yourself in the midst of it all. So.
0: Yeah, Definitely. yeah. Um, so moving on to the practical procedures, we talks a lot about consultation skills. I think for me with the practical procedures, and you sort of alluded to it there, I just, in front of a mirror, just uh, and even just had my own scripts just went over and over and over again of the exact steps that i would do in those practical procedures and you can do that with friends but actually quite often it was very easy to do on your on your own um in your head just know inside out uh like you were saying earlier lewis with um before we started recording about people just unfamiliar with the the tops of you know cannulas and things like that you know being aware of the equipment and stuff like that is so important for oskies because when you're stressed and you're sweaty uh you know you'll drop everything and you know you'll stab yourself and you'll smash the ampule in your hand which has happened to me a couple of times in the oski why they use glass ampules in oskies i don't know but uh they had a first aid kit in that station um so like you know all those things are just so they're they're relatively easy marks for anyone to get, and they're just so easy to lose as well.
2: Yeah, so I think that's asking the university, you know, what is the equipment that would be involved if they were going to do a venipuncture station so that you can familiarise yourself with, you know, if it's a butterfly versus something else. Uh, because just having, you know, done it a few times with the, with the kit will just put you in such a better position when you're actually in there. The last thing you want is to be unfamiliar with with equipment. And I think one thing it's of recent memory with the oski that I've examined is when you're washing your hands and you need to put gloves on, just give it a few seconds. Like okay. I know you're just trying to rifle through and get through, but so many students that fell into the trap that we've all fallen into where you've got wet hands, the alcohol gels had but a second to dry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you sort of spend there. 45 seconds you know dragging yeah. and sort of then thinking maybe I'll just start even though the end of the fingers <laughs> are baggy glove on. yeah and then oh, obviously yeah. to, and then you're fumbling because you don't have you know your dexterity so I think just taking your time with that and you know giving your hands a bit of a shake letting the alcohol evaporate deep breath then the gloves on um it sounds like a really simple thing but it can add a lot of stress and I saw it add a lot of stress recently so yeah. it's top of mind
0: um, we've alluded to this already but um, resources that we use for OSCEs um, so I know there's lots of stuff on Geeky Medics, there are other websites available but um, we of course <laughs> would be biased in some way um, <laughs> but what sort of resources uh, I know sort of, I I absolutely know Geeky Medics was a top top one that I've used, there's also OSCE stop and loads of other websites out there that are really really useful uh, and then I think for me, just knowing the curriculum um, for the medical school as well, and I just had a big list of every single possible OSCE station that could ever come up. And I remember the night before me, I went through this and thought, do you know what, I haven't haven't been through a cerebellar exam. I haven't (laughs) been through that. And that said it can come up. And I just just went through it and it came up the next day. So it's just about, you know, and... yeah cerebellar exam i've never you know these are pretty niche stuff but if it's on the curriculum it can come up so um yeah yeah, that would be my thing with resources is just just know every possible station that could come up and practice it um yeah and i i would
2: agree with that i think being a bit cheeky and making sure to ask your medical school because you know what could come up what's reasonable to come up and Mm. often they will tell you you know Mm. Uh, within reason they're not going to tell you what's going to be on the oski but mm-hmm. they'll certainly say oh that's fair game that isn't and knowing that is important as you say josh because the last thing you want is to be sort of caught off guard with something you've never done before because uh, that's obviously a recipe for disaster um, and i often you know yeah, there's geeky medics guides but you really universities it's more and more uh, producing their own guides and their own videos certainly more than they did you know a decade ago when i started filming stuff and um i think being guided by what they are recommending is is the most important thing because yeah. they are the ones who are going to be determining what the mark scheme is all this other stuff and you don't want to be in a situation where you know you followed a specific geeky medics thing and then they, they do it in a different way so it's always worth checking local guidelines um with procedures and examinations and adapting it i mean i, th- I try to make the geeky medics guides as widely applicable as possible but some things are just different in different places
0: yeah, and um, I I know Lewis as, as well as being a never-ending GP registrar. Um, a few uh, you've been working on projects with Geeky Medics as well, um, and one of those is the the sort of uh, Oski cards, which might be worth worth mentioning now.
2: Yeah, yeah. So obviously we've got our you know how to guides that have been the case for a long time now, um, but most recently we've launched a sort of Oski stations collection. So there's five hundred plus. Pre-made OSCE stations that have you know student instructions, a patient script, which is kind of handy if you you know you, you can use that with a family member because it gives example phrases of what they need to say. Um, so that can be quite helpful. And then an examiner checklist. And we've just said that you know in actual OSCEs often it's more of a domain-based checklist. But when you're practicing, the, in the standard checklist can be helpful, especially if it's someone who is maybe non-medical marking you. Um, and the, the product basically, there's quite a few stations for free on there, um, on the geekyquiz.com website. But what's quite nice and quite cool, in my opinion, obviously slightly biased, is that you can do group practice mode. So you can click a button, it gives you a pin. And then you know if there's three of you, one of you can be patient, then you can assign the examiner role to somebody else. They just enter the pin and then they appear on your screen. And then you can assign the other person the patient script. And then you click a button and then they all get taken to the relevant page and you know if you've maybe you've purchased access but your friends haven't they get access based on that mode so they don't need to get it to so um it's worth checking out and there's also if you're struggling to find someone to practice with or maybe you want to sort of simulate that adrenaline of having a stranger be the patient or be the examiner then we have a sort of pairing mode where we match you with another geeky medics user you sort of click a button and then it will match you and open an audio chat, and you can turn on video if you want. And then you can use one of our scenarios together to sort of practice um, remotely um, when you when you're not with your friends, etc. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear your feedback. It's new, um, and you know there's a new version of the our mobile app coming in the next few weeks to include that too. But at the moment, it's all via the web, but it works on mobile. Um, but yeah, any feedback, you can email me Lewis at lewis.geekymedics.com, I'd love to love to hear it.
0: Yeah, I definitely use the app a lot during my finals um, revision, um, just because it's just so easy, like you're saying, you just think, right, let's practice a cardio exam, douche, and then you've just got, you know, basically a broad mark scheme for a cardio exam. So yeah, all of that sounds pretty cool. And like you're saying, the adrenaline, I'd get nervous. (laughs) Um. yeah yeah
2: uh, yeah i've been testing the product and i've been getting nervous pairing with these random yeah. medical students yeah feeling like i'm on the spot to be a good examiner so uh, yeah, I,
0: you're, uh you're not the um the uh the medical student though you're, you're always no, I, examiner, play, I play examiner yeah. yeah i mean i think
2: it's fair enough that i think most people who want to pair want at least a pop at being the uh, student don't they yeah. so yeah, yeah, most yeah, people i paired with had an oski within the next five days so it seems that the people who do that are pretty close to the yeah and yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, So we'll move on, I think, to sort of general tips and then a few like written exam tips in the last sort of shorter section of the podcast. Um, And they're so stressful and so relentless as well, I think, is how I describe it. Um, what, What are your two top tips for written exams and managing that over such a long period when you're revising?
1: I feel like preparing for the exam is different to actually sitting it. In preparing, I feel like, I mean, it depends how you approach exams and I think getting to know your style of revision your style of working and the techniques that work for you is like a big part of it because everyone does things so differently and especially when you're living on placement you're kind of Mm. very aware of how everyone approaches things differently and you need to kind of just focus on you um I am more of a sort of it's a marathon not a sprint I kind of prepare well in advance but I don't like to Work too hard at any one time. So, for me, it's all about pacing myself, having a good plan, kind of knowing how many weeks I've got to revise, what I want to do each week, kind of starting big, going over things again, coming. I've kind of, you know, start doing each topic, refresh each topic, and then do questions um, mm. kind of leading up to the exam. That's kind of how I approach it. Um, and then in the exam, I feel like the best piece of advice for any exam ever is if you are struggling to just you know give it a fair shot with a question but move on because I don't know about other medical schools but our exams are 120 questions so each question is not worth a lot if you're struggling you can end up down a hole where you've wasted 10 minutes Mm. you know stuck between two answers and again I don't know about other medical schools but um, at ours it's best answer it's not single correct answer um so two things can be right but one of them can be more right so you can definitely get stuck between two answers and sort of just wasting your time i think the best thing to do is flag it put something down and just move on because chances are you will be able to recoup at least Mm. the effective cost of that question by kind of progressing in a good fashion for the rest of the exam and not wasting the rest of your time um, so I think that's probably my best advice for the exam. And just, I, I think, as with the OSCEs as well, it's obviously easier said than done, but trying to get into the situation and not get too caught up in, oh, this is an exam, you know, this is an OSCE, this is, I'm in this situation, just sort of focusing on the actual content and the material you're engaging with. And it sounds really cheesy, but try to enjoy it because this is actually a subject you enjoy and it's a bit like a challenge, it's a bit like a riddle, try not to think about the end result and the mark and everything but just sort of engaging with the question, putting yourself in that clinical situation and trying to figure it out
0: can be difficult mm. to remember that halfway through I can. but no i'm the totally, I'm totally it's very really very fine. wholesome emma very <laughs> wholesome. Yeah, i know i know
1: it, you know what it's because i'm intercalating and i'm not doing it so i'm like oh, <laughs> just enjoy it you know next year this time next year i won't be saying that i bet
0: yeah i'm gonna I'm gonna save that clip and send it to yeah you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah uh, the last written exam that I um, sat was in the my, end of my fourth year because my finals were cancelled because of COVID. Actually, that's a lie. Uh, I, I did my intercalated, the last medical school ones, uh, and I sat down to have a wee beforehand, and um, there was a. I was. It was a disabled toilet, so the lid was slightly higher. Anyway, I weed all over my shorts. <laughs> and it was you know it's at the beginning where it's like five minutes before the exam and you think i've got enough time to quickly nip off come back and so i literally had three minutes until the exam started i've like I've, I've just got I've, my whole shorts were drenched because i didn't realize i was sat down uh and then i just put my shorts on and walked straight into that exam uh and like you say you just gotta Focus and enjoy. Enjoy the questions. You're um yeah, and, you need something
1: to humble you, don't you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And luckily, it was a hot day, so sort of it had all dried out by the end. But um I'm not yeah. sure how
2: lucky it was for the people sat beside you. Be honest, no, <laughs> no, true. I sort of shimmed
0: <laughs> I shimmied in on the side, and no one sort of saw. But oh man, you just you think these things. Anyway, yeah wow i did not see that one coming i'm not gonna (laughs) lie (laughs) no nor did i i had to have a shower before before coming back to the library after that um yeah i think my my, i think everything you said emma was exactly like exactly what would my, my top tips be and i think for me um one of the biggest and most useful things was um sort of again practicing with friends at times so I'd sort of vary up your revision. Um, so as well as having a really good timetable, like you said, I'd have maybe the morning I'd do questions because I'd be quite tired. And then in the afternoon, I'd know my focus was best. So I'd like go over pure content. And then in the evening, maybe if I was revising the evening, I'd sort of maybe arrange to meet up with some friends and we'd go through stuff, those subjects have been over because I think it's really important to know the things you don't know. And if they're quizzing you on things especially if it's well in advance of the exam. Um, If they're quizzing you on things that they think are important for the exam and you don't know, then it's a perfect opportunity to then go away the next day and learn it. So I think it's about being open to being challenged, I think, about what you don't know. and That's what I really found the most useful and to say, oh, oh no, I don't know anything about the brachial plexus or, you know, about heart failure management. I really need to go over that. And then that's fine. You've gone over it and that sort of, me that little bit of stress knowing a friend of mine sort of knew i know sometimes that could be really bad but a friend of mine knew that i need to then go over it and i'll remember it for the next time that they ask me the same question mm. um but i'm also aware that for some people that um that whole process can be quite stressful um so again it goes back to you know what the type of learner you are and i know some friends who just sort of kept themselves to themselves and you know and that was absolutely fine as well
2: yeah i'm i'm probably more of a solo learner i would say in that regard so i've so i've just sat my gp uh it's the applied knowledge test which is kind of similar to finals in many ways so it's single best answer Uh, i think it's sort of 200 questions um 180 questions i think um and you sort of sit in one of these driving test centers and do it so it's uh it's oh do you, a strange, you sit in there? A... Strange experience, yeah. Oh dear. You're with other people sitting the same exam, actually. Oh, okay. In, well, not in the one someone... I was in. Yeah, yeah. No, not... no, yeah. There's not a hazard perception test yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, But God. yeah, so I I've it's very acute in my memory because I'm finding out if I've passed or not um in two days. Um, but my approach to revising for this, and it was unusual because I've not had to really sit an exam since finals really so my finals were 2012 wow. so it's 10 years ago since I sat my finals Blimey. um and yeah I know I'm old and um essentially I had to sort of think how how did I used to revise what, what was the method because it's all been very ad hoc since then you know I'd look up stuff as and when I need it from a clinical point of view um so the, the method that I went with is first of all, figuring out what the scope of the exam was in terms of what was likely to come up or what was fair game at least. Yeah. Um, so looking at you know past questions, speaking to people who'd sat the exam before to hear what what things came up, what surprised them, and looking at this official guidelines in terms of how much of the exam is dedicated to specific things. So in this exam, 10% is statistics and um that's awful and then, yeah and then it's another 10% that's like admin/regulations slash regulations. uh so like dvla flying regulations mm. various laws and things um and then and based on that what i did is i i, I figured out what is the stuff that i will never remember for more than like 3 days because it's just so boring and pointless to memorise and i thought and DVLA. <laughs> yes basically you guessed it so that i knew that it was important because that was 20% of the exam right so mm. in some ways it's easy marks but being tactical and knowing, you know, yourself, I thought, well, that is the last three to four days before the exam. It's just going to be that stuff that I'm going to hit pretty hard. Uh, so that it's in sort of short term memory. Um, and then along the way in the sort of three months leading up to it, I just went topic by topic through the key things and watched, say, a video overview on it. Then maybe read sort of the nice CKS summary on a topic, which I find quite good. And it's a free website. Yeah, it's so good. Um, And then i would do some questions on that topic so i would do it as sort of a video a bit of a read and then questions on that topic Um, and that to me seemed to work quite well and kept me fairly engaged because it was sort of multiple formats of the same information being challenged by it Um, and then i also if it was something that i really was struggling to remember um, i would I bought whiteboards. I've never used a whiteboard in my life, actually, but I bought a whiteboard. I bought two, actually, but I couldn't bother. Oh, you are in classic
0: revision mode. you know when you sort of go, you go online? Oh yeah. You buy revision equipment. I bought post-it notes. Never bought post-it notes before. Yeah. (laughs) And I made
2: yeah. I put them up. I don't think it really helped, but yeah, it felt good. It felt good um, exactly. Yeah, but the the whiteboard was quite useful in terms of like drawing out things, you know, in Mm. order. It's a bit different, I think, to just standard pen and paper for me, anyway. Um, And I know some people find flashcards helpful. I didn't do that. Um, But um, certainly the whiteboard was pretty good. And things like, you know, developmental milestones that I've not, you know, gone over in detail. So, you know, you've got to know when they can, like, draw a triangle whilst riding a tricycle or whatever, you know, and uh, all these things obviously is not actually that important because you would just ask the age of the child, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, So, and then I'd be like walking through the local park, trying to guess the age of children, which, you know, it's fraught with its own challenges, but, um, <laughs> yeah, that was towards the end of revision. I was trying to gauge it, but then it's a bit of a, I, I felt like I couldn't really go and then ask the, you know, parent how yeah. old the child actually was. But I was just trying everything yeah. I could because it just wouldn't stick in my head uh, for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, th- that approach, I, you know, and the night before the exam, good sleep is the other thing I would say, which is 100%. easier said than done. Yeah. Um, but to be on your A game, you know, trying to get a good night's sleep. Yeah,
0: I had a friend who, who I lived with who had completely flipped his sleep-weight cycle. Yeah, uh, that's the risk. I mm. uh, And, uh, you know, he had been up all night before the exam and he was falling asleep in the exam itself. So He had a red bull halfway through and was doing star jumps. In that's hardcore. Cool. I, oh I mean, God. he's done well, so good for him. But yeah, absolutely good sleep before. And I think that, that sort of leads me on to the next bit about just, you know, it could be really stressful. And I know people have, you know, have had, you know, panic attacks and anxiety and things during exams. And it could feel like the most stressful time of your life. And in some ways it is. But, you know, bigger picture thing, it will be fine in the end. And the medical school, certainly for me, were really helpful, you know, if you are having issues with specific exams and stuff. So
2: flagging issues early, I guess, because yeah, like med yeah, schools, I think, are quite sympathetic as long as you do flag it early-ish. And uh, don't say after the fact when you get your result
0: yeah i definitely you know stress is a really important thing to deal with and i definitely had loads of stress during the exam but um yeah and you know everyone else is going through the same thing as well i think that's one really good thing about uh medicine and exams and things is that you know you've got a cohort of people who are probably as stressed as you are so yes. you know sometimes sometimes just talking to them about it and getting it off your chest and whatnot is is useful but um yeah
2: and the post-exam thing is quite split in terms of what people like to do. I don't like to talk to other people about the answers because I find it's... Stressful. It's, ne- it's never a good game, is it? Because it's always, gonna... always the stuff you got wrong, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah, you yeah. fixate on. And you forget the stuff that you glanced at and immediately knew the answer yeah. and yeah. moved on. That just isn't stored in your memory. And mm-hmm. um, it's the stuff that you sort of were not sure and then you went away and you came back to it and you still weren't quite sure. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's
1: very true. I think you never know how well you've done, really. No. It's kind of, I don't know, very uncertain, but also quite freeing to sort of think your emotional reaction to the exam is not necessarily at all based
2: oh, in, no, in how 100%. you've
1: done. Yeah. There have been yeah, times yeah. where I'm like, yes, yeah, smashed it. Absolutely <laughs> did not. And then times <laughs> where you're just so stressed about it and it's absolutely fine. And,
0: and you smashed it.
1: Well, you've just got yeah. to enjoy your holiday <laughs> and <laughs> enjoy the post-exam <laughs> feeling.
2: No, definitely. I definitely. I feel like the people I've seen here are the most stressed after are always the people who end up doing incredibly well, mm-hmm. and they put themselves through hell for, you know, three weeks or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, don't live it twice. Yeah. No, that was the good thing with failing my driving test is that I knew immediately that I failed. I didn't have to question that. So, uh, <laughs> first, especially the first time when I didn't get out of the test centre, I figured props hadn't passed. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, uh, have you passed now? Yeah, yeah passed. Okay. I passed a long time ago. Yeah, okay, thankfully. okay. But well, it, it was
2: it was intrinsically related to oskies because I was about to sit my first oski and I kept failing my driving test and thought, well, if this is any anything to go by, I'm never going to pass an oski in my life. So
0: you passed them both.
2: Passed them both eventually. Yeah
0: guys thank you that was uh well you know i think i learned something hopefully hopefully i am better at OSCE's and written exams now but oh i really hope um that it is useful for for you all at home um just for us to talk through what our tips and tricks for OSCE's and written exams are and i suppose it goes Uh, for for all of us really good luck in your exams you'll hopefully smash them uh, and then you can have a big long holiday afterwards Um, so yeah good luck Um, that's it from us and uh, that's it for this episode of the Geeky Medics podcast thanks very much